I want you to think of a time, perhaps recently, maybe this last week, when you were in the middle of a conflict with another person, and as you were talking, your words were going nowhere, and you began to realize, or maybe have this thought, you know, I'm not sure that they really want to hear what I'm saying. You ever had that experience? You're talking, their ears are working, English words are being spoken, but because of some complicated dynamics, maybe some history, maybe some pain, maybe some arrogance, the person is just not listening. Maybe you were that person last week. You saw somebody come up to you and you're like, I don't care what they say, I'm not listening because you've got it out for them. The fact of the matter is that underneath our human relationships are varying levels of brokenness and sinful filters. The kind of things that we make people's words pass through, things that cause us, even though we have ears, even though our eardrums work, even though our minds are functioning, and even though we intellectually can maybe know what's being said to us, we refuse to understand, we don't want to hear, and in effect, we give that person the stiff arm. The frightening thing is that's not only true about human relationships, it's also true about our relationship with God. The fact is that the human heart is so broken and our filters so strong that quite frankly, it's a miracle that anybody hears anything that God says to us. The fact of the matter is that life-giving words, like life-giving words from the Bible, can land on hardened hearts, and then they go nowhere. What's remarkable about the Gospel of John is this contrast that we keep seeing between those who hear the words of Jesus and receive them, and those who hear the words of Jesus and don't hear them. They, they, they reject them out of hand. Some people embrace Jesus' teaching, others reject him. Some people fall at his feet in worship. Others pick up stones to kill him. In our text today, John chapter 10, we, we see a very clear contrast as Jesus makes some profound statements. And, and to be honest with you, depending upon what your orientation is regarding Jesus, like right now in this room or when you hear this message, you're gonna hear John 10 and some of you are gonna hear that text and you're gonna go, yes, this is awesome. Some of you are gonna hear this text and you go, that's offensive. And it all depends not on what you hear, but rather where you are at in terms of your relationship with Jesus. So before we even get in the text, I'm gonna make an application right now, and that's this. As you've come to Sunday morning gathering today, you've come to morning worship, what's the orientation of your heart as it relates to the Bible? Have you come with a bit of a chip on your shoulder? Go ahead and try and make me listen, Mark. Got a couple good illustrations in there that make me laugh, then I'll listen. In between my checks on social media, my seeing what my friends are up to today, and my jealousy that they're at home in bed, I'm going to listen, but I might not listen very intently. Or are you coming today with a heart that's moldable, a heart that's ready to receive, a posture where you're leaning into the word, not leaning away from it? You see, John wrote this gospel in order to help us to know what, in order to help us to know how to believe. But here's the problem. 
You will never hear Jesus correctly if you don't want to listen. You will never hear Jesus correctly if you don't want to listen. So if you came into church today with a bit of an attitude, you may want to pray just right now, Jesus, help me to want to listen. To say it positively, what this text shows us is that, church, it's a miracle that anybody listens to Jesus. You're going to see this in this text in terms of what Jesus does by diagnosing the problem with these people who come to him in the temple area. So today we're gonna to answer three key questions. Number one, what's the problem? Number two, to whom do we belong? And number three, what will we do? So what's our problem? To whom do we belong? And what will we do? First, what's the problem? The text begins with a description of the setting for this conversation. Verse 22, at that time, the Feast of Dedication took place at Jerusalem. It was winter. Now, for those of you who are history buffs, there's a backstory I think that's somewhat interesting. This festival, the Feast of Dedication, was not a biblically mandated feast. Instead, it was a bit of a cultural event meant to celebrate a moment about 100 years before the birth of Jesus, where the temple was rededicated after it was desecrated. Here's what happened. 167 BC, a Syrian leader named Antiochus Epiphanes attacked the city of Jerusalem. He entered into the temple, and to the dismay and disgust of the Jewish people, he set up a pagan altar in the middle of the temple courtyard. He started offering sacrifices to foreign gods in the middle of the most sacred place for the people of God. He was severe in his persecution of the Jewish people. He made it illegal to even possess the Hebrew scriptures. And under the leadership of a Jewish rebel named Judas Maccabeus, the temple was recaptured and consecrated on December 25th, 164 BC. He was a hero. This festival then became known as the Festival of Lights, and it was designed to celebrate the dawning of freedom and the removal of oppressors who were persecuting the Jewish people. This feast later became known as Hanukkah, very similar in its celebration. So what you need to know is that when Jesus walks into the temple area, there is this celebration that is both spiritual and political in nature. It marked the moment where Jewish people threw off those who were occupying their land and they purified their most sacred place of worship. And it's important to you know as we're walking through this text that underneath Jesus' teaching is this political and social current. Because Jesus' day was not any different than our own. There's always social and spiritual and political currents that are running underneath. In Jesus' time, it wasn't the problem of the Syrians. It was Rome who was occupying Jerusalem, and the Jewish people were looking for Jesus to come and liberate them, to get Rome off of their backs and to return the Jewish nation to what she had been in the gleaming jewel of the reign of David. You see, part of the problem with Jesus' teaching here is that it regularly collided with spiritual truths and political ideology. 
Jesus was challenging the people to consider a very important question, which is this, which kingdom do you belong to? Do you belong to the kingdom of God, or do you belong to the kingdom of man? And part of the tragedy of what was happening in Israel was that the Jewish people were consistently pledging their allegiance to the nation of Israel instead of pledging their allegiance to the God of the nation of Israel. You know that's still an issue we have to think about today, right? Friends, we have to regularly think about where, do this, where does the order of Christian fall in your thinking about life? So, for instance, if you're in business and you're climbing the corporate ladder, you have to think, are you a, are you a businessman or businesswoman who happens to be Christian? Or are you a Christian who happens to be a business leader? There's a world of difference. If you're in the realm of politics, you gotta decide, am I a politician who also is a Christian or am I a Christian who happens to serve in the public arena in politics? If you serve as a teacher or somebody who's in sales or someone who serves at any level within government, you gotta think through, where, where, does, where, where does being a Christian fall in the order of prioritization? Because what Jesus is getting at here is there are spiritual realities and the people who were in control and in power, they were very nervous because what Jesus was teaching was going to likely cause them to lose their position and maybe even lose their nation. Listen to what John records in John chapter 11. If we let him go on like this, everyone will believe in him and the Romans will come and take away both our place and our nation. So I don't think it's by accident or for mere chronology that John mentions where Jesus is when this conversation takes place. Now verse 23 tells us that Jesus was walking in the colonnade of Solomon. This is a, a, a large section within the Temple Mount area where the early church actually gathered, according to Acts chapter three and Acts chapter five. And, and the point is that Jesus, in this conversation, is in the center of both the theological and political and socioeconomic capital of the Jewish nation. So that informs how we read verse 24. So the Jews gather around him. They're, they gather around him at the Feast of Dedication in Solomon's colonnade area, and they say to him, how long will you keep us in suspense? If you are the Christ, tell us plainly. Now, when you read the word Christ, you probably think Jesus on the cross. They're not thinking that. They're like, you tell us if you're the one who's gonna get Rome off our back. Like, we need another hammer. That's what Judas Maccabeus' nickname was. He was the hammer. He was a guerrilla warfare insurrectionist. And they wanted to know, are you the guy that's going to take this over and become the new king so that Rome can be gone? Are you going to one who's going to restore the glory of Israel? Tell us plainly if you're that guy. They're frustrated that Jesus, in their opinion, is not being clear about who he is. Look at chapter 10 and verse 19. There was a division that's going on about Jesus Many of them said, verse 20 of chapter 10, he has a demon and he's insane. Why listen to him? Others said, these are not the words of one who is oppressed by a demon. Can a demon open the eyes of the blind? So people have varying opinions about who Jesus is. And what's fascinating and telling here is the fact that they blame Jesus. Because in their mind, the conflict that is being created in their culture is because Jesus isn't just being clear. Tell us, are you the Christ? Or not, the problem is their definition of Christ and his definition of Christ were worlds apart. 
They have no category for a suffering, humble, giving up his rights sort of redeemer. They thought the problem was Rome when the real problem was their unrighteousness. Look at Jesus' answer in verse 25, because it gets to the heart of the problem. Jesus answered them, I told you and you do not believe. There it is. And then he says this, the works that I do in my Father's name bear witness about me, but you do not believe because you are not among my sheep. That's essential. Jesus told them who he was. The problem was not his lack of clarity. The problem was their lack of belief. They had another image of what the Messiah was going to be like. Jesus didn't fit their expectations. He confronted the idols of their hearts. His works should have been enough to convince them as to who he was. The problem was not the lack of plainness in Jesus' words, but rather the hardness of their own heart. And that's why Jesus tells them that the reason that they do not believe and the reason that they don't understand him is because they are not among his sheep. Jesus, in effect, tells them, you, you, you won't hear me, you can't hear me, because you're not mine. So these people are coming to Jesus for all the wrong reasons. And just so you know, that didn't stop in the first century. Take your Bible, go to 2 Corinthians chapter 4. Let me show you this. When the Apostle Paul is talking about the challenge of the gospel going out in the world, he describes us human beings as being blinded, blinded by the enemy. In 2 Corinthians chapter 4 and verse 3, he says this, 2 Corinthians 4, 3, and even if our gospel is veiled, it is veiled to those who are perishing. In their case, here's what he said, this is so critical, the God of this world has blinded the minds of unbelievers to keep them from seeing the light of the gospel of the glory of Christ, who is the image of God. So Paul's idea is this, that the enemy blinds people's eyes. That's the natural condition of our hearts, and then there are things in the world that the enemy uses in order to keep people in their blindness. Things like what? Like pride. People who are convinced, I can do this on my own. I don't need anybody's help, I need God's help. I got this. I am my own creator of my own destiny. And then, praise God, cancer comes, or a funeral happens, and you're met face to face with the reality, I am not in control of my life. I know the way people are blinded is comparison. They, they know they've done wrong things, but they compare themselves to others, and well, at least I'm not like so and so, and as a result, there's a level of blindness that settles over them. Another way in which people are blind is because of power. They can't embrace humility. They see everybody else being successful by taking what belongs to them and climbing on top of people, and when Jesus says become a servant, that seems counterintuitive to everything that's in the culture, and people are like, no, I can't do that, and so they're blinded. I don't want to follow some sort of sacrificial, mamby-pamby leader who dies, and what they don't know is that was the means to ultimate victory. Some people are blinded because of control. They don't want someone else to control their life. They don't want the King of kings and Lord of lords to control their life. They don't want someone to tell them what to do. They don't like the Bible because they don't like what's right and wrong in here. And as a result, they're like, no, I'm going to make my own law. And little do they know while making their own law, they pave their way towards destruction. Some people that are blinded because of affections. They just love the wrong things. 
There's so many others that I could list, but if you're a follower of Jesus, what issues stood in your way before Jesus broke through? You can probably think of them, can't you? And you know, when you tell people about what it means to follow Jesus, you ought to tell them, you know, once I was like this, but now I'm like this. Once I used to think this way, now I think this way. In fact, John Newton, who famously wrote Amazing Grace, he's a converted slave trader. Remember these words, Amazing Grace, how sweet the sound that saved a wretch like me. The word wretch, we need to bring that back into our vocabulary, right? I'm just not a sinner, I'm a wretch. Hashtag wretch, something like that. <laughs> I once was lost, but now I am, what's the next word? Found. Twas blind, but now I what? See. <laughs> That's what Jesus does. I was a wretch, now I'm a son. I was lost, now I'm found. I was blind, now I see. And people who follow Jesus know, I didn't do that. Jesus did that to me. Jesus found me. Jesus helped me to see. Jesus made me something that I wasn't. You see, beloved, the problem, the problem, the problem, the problem is not the lack of plainness in Jesus' words. No, 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 no. The problem is the hardness of our hearts. That's why five years ago you could sit in this exact same sermon and you would have never heard a word that I've said, but now you're here and God's done something in you and you're hearing the words of the Bible. You're like, oh, this is awesome. Five years ago you would have said, that's stupid. But here you are. God in his grace loved you. He sought you. And you are named among those that Jesus calls his sheep. You were wretched. And now you're one of his sheep. So what, what John does here is he identifies the problem. The problem is that we don't hear because we don't want to. Secondly, the question that we need to wrestle with then is, okay, wait a minute, so then to who do we belong? Because what Jesus does is he links this notion of not hearing to not belonging to Jesus. Look at verse 27. He says, my sheep hear my voice and I know them. The challenge is that Jesus is saying, you don't hear what I'm saying because you're not part of my sheep. You don't belong to me. Those who belong to Jesus hear him. In fact, I want you to notice something really powerful about verses 27 to 30. Why don't you just follow along as I read it a particular way. My sheep hear my voice, and I know them, and they follow me. I give them eternal life, and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. My Father, who has given them to me, is greater than all, and no one is able to snatch them out of the Father's hands, because I and the Father are one. That text has everything to do with Jesus. Don't you dare read that text and be like, that's about me. That text is not about you. That text is about Jesus. These sheep are the ones who belong to him, and because they belong to him, they hear him, they are known by him, and they follow him. They don't hear and then become his sheep. 
Mm-mm. Jesus' sheep belong to him, and then they hear his voice. Hearing is a result of belonging. And here we see a great mystery as it relates to the sovereignty of God over our salvation. I just want to acknowledge a tension that exists within this text, and for that matter, the Bible. First, the tension is that we have to acknowledge that on the one hand, human beings are called to believe, and we are held responsible for our rejection of the gospel. You could see texts like Acts chapter 6, 22 to 23, and 36 to 40. The Bible calls you to believe, and if you don't believe, it's on you. And at the same time, the Bible says no one can say Jesus is Lord except by the Holy Spirit. He told Nicodemus, unless one is born again, he cannot see the kingdom of God. So when Jesus says, my sheep hear my voice, it is a rebuke to those who are questioning Jesus. He's telling them that their problem is not what they hear. The problem is not what Jesus is saying. Their problem, listen to me, is who they are. Their problem is so much deeper than what they ever even knew. He tells them that the real issue is that they don't belong to Jesus. And if they don't belong to him, they're going to never hear him. Now, this great mystery in the context of the Bible is meant just to be laid at our Um, put on the table, laid at our feet, if you will, and realize that there is this unbelievable mystery that God calls people to believe, and yet there's no way they're going to believe unless he moves. And there are things like this in the Bible to make us go, wow. Consider for a moment the fact that Jesus, if you're a follower of his, that that Jesus came into your world not only as a child, not only as a man hung on a cross, but the moment when you heard the gospel and you saw what you didn't see before, that was God at work in you. Did you believe? 100% you believed, but did you believe by yourself 100%? No. And what Jesus is doing here, he's inviting these people and anyone who hears these words to consider who they are. And to consider to whom do they really belong. Verse 28, just look at what it says. He says, I give them eternal life and they will never perish and no one will snatch them out of my hand. If you're a follower of Jesus and you belong to him, you hear those words, you're like, that is amazing. And if you're not a follower of him, you read those words, you're like, that's offensive. Part of the aim of Jesus' words is to break our hearts because the barrier to belief is a heart that isn't broken. So if you're a follower of Jesus, why do you hear Jesus' words even now? Because of Jesus. Why do you follow Jesus? Because of Jesus. Why do you have any hope for eternal life? Because of Jesus. Why can you have confidence that you'll never perish? Because of Jesus. And what is your confidence that you're going to be able to persevere all the way to the end? It's only because of Jesus. And when you stand before the King of kings and Lord of lords, he knows everything about your past, everything you've ever done, everything you've ever thought, your only hope on that day is the only reason I'm here and safe is because of you, Jesus. So listen, 
Listen, behind your conversion, underneath your spiritual growth, and in front of your future is the power of God, which is why Jesus says, I and the Father are one. The security of the believer is rooted in who the good shepherd is. That's why the Apostle Paul says this in Colossians 3. Your life is hidden with Christ in God. So listen to me. If you're a believer in Jesus, that means nothing, nothing, nothing can penetrate the vault of God's love for you. No sin, no trial, no temptation, no illness. The devil himself doesn't have the key to unlock the vault of God's love for you. That means that because you belong to Jesus, you are 100% safe. Your assurance doesn't come from a date in the front of your Bible or something that you can remember, as important as those things are, and those aren't immaterial, but at the end of the day, your hope for your future belief and your ability to persevere all the way to the end is nothing short of the fact that Jesus is the one who rescued you, Jesus was the one who saved you, and Jesus is the one who's gonna keep you safe all the way to the end. So being a disciple of Jesus flows from belonging to Christ. Being a part of his church means that you belong to one another. And we gather on the Lord's Day to remind ourselves about this reality of belonging, which is why our discipleship pathway involves belonging, then growing, and multiplying. Why does it start with belonging? Because if you don't get belonging right, you don't get anything right. It's like in an argument, if, you have, if you're married with a spouse or a really good friend and you're starting to get after one another, get a little chippy in the conversation, it's called time out. Let's just hold hands and be reminded here we love one another, all right? Sing Kumbaya or something like that. Let's just be, let's just be all together here. And let's, I'm for you, not against you. I don't know why my words are being received this way, but I am, I'm in your corner, man. We gotta be reminded that we belong to Jesus. All right, finally, what will you do? The text concludes with the response of the Jews. Verse 31, they picked up stones again to stone him. And then Jesus, he's in a tough spot here. He's got people with stones getting ready to kill him. So Jesus, wise as serpent, innocent as a dove, says, I have shown you many good works from the Father. For which of these good works are you going to stone me? The Jews answer him, it's not for a good work that we're going to stone you, but because of blasphemy, because you being a man make yourself God. Then Jesus I think here, in order to make them kind of put down their stones for a moment, he, he, he asks them a confusing question. We don't have time to explore this. Let me summarize it this way. He says this, verse 34, is it not written in your law, I said you are gods? He quotes Psalm 82, six. If he called them gods to whom the word of God came and the scripture cannot be broken, do you say of him whom the Father consecrated and sent into the world, you are blaspheming because I said I am the son of God? What's Jesus doing here? What's, what's he doing? He's, he wants them to think for a moment and be a little confused. So he quotes an obscure passage in Psalm 82 because he wants them to start having these thoughts. Wait a minute, what, what passage did he quote again? Psalm 82, 6? Is that correct? Does that really say God's? And Jesus is buying some time here by using the scriptures against them. That's what, I, that's what I think he's doing. And then he offers them another invitation. Verse 37, I am not, if I am not doing the works of my Father, then do not believe me. But if I do them, even though you don't 
believe me, believe the works. So he's still appealing to them to believe that you may know and understand that the Father is in me and I am in the Father. And notice it once again fell on deaf ears. Again, they sought to arrest him, but he escaped from their hands. You see, friends, it doesn't matter what Jesus does. It doesn't matter what Jesus says. It doesn't matter who he claims to be. Even though he's in the temple during the festival of the lights, they, they just are not going to believe. Why? Because their hearts are set against him, and as a result, his ear, their ears are closed. I mean, I gotta believe that describes a few of you here today. Like, you just, no matter what I do, no matter how I say it, no matter how many times it comes at you, 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 you're gonna find any way to not believe what the Bible says because the problem isn't the preacher, it's not the message, it's not the text. If you look carefully, the problem is you don't wanna listen. And until, until you acknowledge that, you're never going to hear. So Jesus then, the text ends, he goes off into the wilderness. Many came to him. They said John did no sign, but everything John said about this man is true, and many believed in him there. So the question we've got to ask ourselves is this. Are you listening? Are you listening? It could be you're here today and you wouldn't identify as a Christian, but here's the crazy thing that's happening to you while you're listening to the sermon, although you start at the very beginning thinking, I'm not going to listen, suddenly now there's a little door that's opening and the light is starting to shine through and you are starting to have this thought, you know what, I actually think I might start to believe this. And friend, if that's happening, you need to know that is God by his spirit that's at work in you and that is the means that God draws people to himself. So why not come to Jesus today? Why not just kick that door all the way open and say, Jesus, I'm coming. My heart has been broken. I'm no longer going to resist. Instead, I'm going to turn from my sins. I want you, Jesus, to be my Savior and Lord, to say to him, I believe I want to follow you. Why not make today that day? Or risk thinking, I'll wait till the next sermon, when you never know if the next sermon is going to land in your heart any differently than this one is landing today. To those of you who are Christians, you should marvel. Oh, you should marvel. We should all marvel that we ever heard this glorious news in the first place. Do you remember the moment when the good news broke into your heart and life? Remember the miracle, how you saw? It doesn't matter if you were young or you were old, but you saw, you saw the, the beauty of what God was offering to you in Jesus. Do you remember that miracle of that moment? You ought to thank God for that miracle. And although there are all sorts of really deep and important truths that are underneath as to how all of that happened, the singular thing that you should be thinking about the miracle of that moment is this. Why you? Seriously. Why you? God set his love on you. He pursued you. He rescued you. He bought you. He went after you. He drew you. Why you? And the only answer is I don't know because I'm a wretch. I was blind, but now I see. I was lost, but he found me. Don't you dare come to this text and go, well, he caught me because I was really smart. <laughs> he came after me because, man, he got a good catch when it came to this, this guy. This guy helps the kingdom. Mm-mm-mm. You think like that? You, you've not been caught. You, you're back to being lost again. <laughs> Maybe you're a Christian here today and you, you know Jesus as your savior, but your heart has not been very open to what the Bible says recently, maybe because of pride or power or knowledge or experience. 
Can I just remind you that it was the educated religious people that were in power that rejected Jesus' teaching? It was the broken people who flooded to him. Maybe you're here today and you're a weary-hearted Christian, troubled by the failures of your own life in the last week, or maybe a physical issue has caused like clouds to form over your soul. Maybe the devil's doing all sorts of evil things around you, and you might wonder, I don't, I don't know how I'm going to do this. Maybe you're in a hard marriage. Maybe you're in a tough spot at work, and you see all the temptations around you, and you know you, and you know what's that, and you're like, I don't know. I'm scared. Let me assure you, brother or sister, that underneath your life is not your strength. Underneath your life is not your ingenuity. Underneath your life is not your knowledge. Underneath your life, the foundation of what it means to be a Christian is this simple promise. I belong to Jesus. So when difficulties or trials or or hardships come, that, that statement needs to be forefront in your mind to help you to persevere so that when cancer comes, you can say, no, I belong to Jesus. And when relationships disappoint you, I belong to Jesus. Or you need to ask someone's forgiveness, you can say, I belong to Jesus. Or when the fear of man takes over, you can say, I believe uh, that, that I belong to Jesus. Or when there are difficulties that you face and you wonder, I don't know if I have the strength to do this one more day, that the undergirding reality of your life is I belong to Jesus. Do you believe you belong to Jesus? Say it with me, I belong to Jesus. I belong to Jesus. Say it again, I belong to Jesus. Say it again, I belong to Jesus. Because church, your only hope, your only hope in life is this glorious truth found in John chapter 10 and verse 27. My sheep hear my voice and I know them and they follow me. And Jesus gives them eternal life and they will never perish, and no one will snatch them out of my hand. You can't snatch you out of his hand. The devil can't snatch you out of his hand. No one can snatch you out of his hand. Why? Because at the end of the day, you belong to Jesus. Lord, help us, because that truth is so important and yet it's so easy for us to, def to neglect and to forget the way in which that truth should be lived. So God, help us to hear today what you're saying. And I wonder today if you're not yet a Christian, why not come to Jesus right now, brother or sister? Why not? Friend, why not just simply say, Jesus, I hear you. I hear you through this word today. And I turn from my sins right now, and I'm asking you, Jesus, I don't know all of what it means, but I know this. I need help, and I want you to come and take over, so come right now. Maybe you're a Christian. Your soul is just so weary. And you could say, Jesus, despite blank, you fill in what that blank is, it's been good to be reminded that I belong to you. Oh, help us, Lord, to live in the power of what it means to belong to you. We pray this in Jesus' name.